guys. Ray Russell back again with another edition of Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. As we continue to chronicle the entire Monday Night War, it's WWF Monday Night Raw versus WCW Monday Nitro. And this week on Monday Warfare, we're going to cover the week of July 15th in 1996, just a week out from the WWF's In Your House International Incident Pay-Per-View. Plus, we're going to hear from the traitor, the turncoat, Hulk Hogan, excuse me, Hollywood Hogan, as he makes his initial Nitro appearance after turning heel just eight days ago at the WCW Bash at the Beach pay-per-view. We're going to hear from the Hulkster, or the Hollywoodster, whatever the case may be, and of course the Outsiders along with him. So the New World Order will be in full form for the very first time on WCW Nitro. Can't wait to see those ratings. But before we jump into things, just a reminder, you guys can listen to Monday Warfare along with our sister shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade currently in the summer month of July in our 1987 in the WWF project. Lots of exciting things going on in the World Wrestling Federation in the summer of 87. The Million Dollar Man vignettes have already begun. Plus the upcoming debuts of Bam Bam Bigelow, Ravishing Rick Rude, the Dingo Warrior, and so much more. And of course, you can also listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories, guaranteed 100% territory talk each and every time out. Currently working two projects over there, 1981 in the Georgia Championship Wrestling Territory with guest co-host Jamie Ward. Also, this week, going to drop another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling 1986 Project with our guest co-host Roman Gomez. So plenty of good things coming out of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And speaking of which, you can listen to all of those shows and more as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met. From Apple to Spotify, Google and beyond. And make sure you follow us on social media, guys. Follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like us at Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Follow us on social media for all the latest goings on at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And I'm also constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. And while you're at it, speaking of videos, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find us there at YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Uploading new footage all the time as I continue to preserve my old VHS collection by converting it all to digital. I think we're up to around 470 videos and counting over there at youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. So subscribe today. And speaking of subscribing, I would greatly appreciate it. If you guys could check out the WrestleCopia Patreon account, you can find us there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Again, the address patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Multiple tiers to choose from. But I only ask you guys to give it a try at the $5 all-access tier. Get you all sorts of goodies for just $5, including all of my insanely detailed book-like show notes, pages and pages of show notes for every individual show of the Wrestling Memory Grenade, Monday Warfare, and now the Regional Wrestling Podcast as well. you also receive early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia. You can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. For instance, the latest edition of the Regional Wrestling Podcast preparing to drop later this week. It was up five days early, only as part of that all-access tier on Patreon. 
but it doesn't end there, guys. You'll also receive remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade Show, covering the 1989 NWA project. Includes enhanced sound quality and new content and conversations. Originally edited out of the initial broadcast of the show due to time restraints, edited right back in. But that's not all. You'll also receive digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, and of course, that Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Clash of the Champions, Saturday Night's Main Events, and so much more. All of that, plus random bonus video drops, you never know what you're going to find there at the all-access tier. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5 a month. No subscription. Cancel any time. Give it a try, guys, and I think you'll like the content we offer. And every penny of it goes right back here to the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. So please, if you can, show your support. Help me pay some of the bills to keep all of this up and running here as part of the WrestleCopia brand. And now with all of that out of the way, it's time to dive back into another week of the Monday Night War. This week, we head into the week of July 15th. Monday night, July 15th, 1996. Well, but wait, first, we have a little WWF news to get into. And according to Wade Keller of The Torch, the WWF has locked Click member Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, into a new three-year contract. However, Sean Waltman, a.k.a. the 123 Kid, has been released from the company and is WCW bound sooner rather than later, likely as the newest member of the New World Order. So Sean Waltman is out of the WWF, but Triple H locked in. So Sean Michaels still has one running buddy with him here in Titan. It's also expected that there will be major changes in the television department come September. Syndication is expected to take yet another hit. So the WWF will be more reliant than ever on cable TV. Also at this point in time, Kevin Kelly makes his debut on the air doing voiceover work for the Action Zone and WWF Mania shows with Jim Ross doing the color commentary. Welcome aboard, Kevin Kelly. And wow, this is a a bit of uh, news to me. I I, I guess I'd never noticed this in the past. The WWF has pulled out of the city of Boston because the rent and union costs of running the new Fleet Center make the ability to break even simply too high. So the World Wrestling Federation is going to concentrate on running the Worcester Centrum instead. And boy, they ain't kidding. I went back and looked. No Boston shows in 1996 whatsoever. And then only one WWF show in the entire year of 1997 in the city of Boston. Three in 1998, including WrestleMania. And I just, I never noticed this before. Boston fans going to have to make that 50-minute trek all the way to Worcester if they want to watch some World Wrestling Federation action, it would seem. It's also reported that Vince McMahon is making an effort to sign a lot of the key guys to five-year deals as he apparently wants to avoid more Hall and Nash situations. Of course, we know that Bret Hart is going to be signed to a 10-year deal here in the upcoming months. We'll see how that works out. Also, Raymond Rougeau, current WWF French announcer, Ray Rougeau is said to have lost 20 pounds and is even looking cut. Way to go, Ray. Apparently, Rougeau training for an upcoming boxing match versus Owen Hart on August the 2nd in the first ever wrestling event at the Molson Center in Montreal. So new buildings opening everywhere. And the Molson Center, just another one here. The WWF coming for their first event there in Montreal on August the 2nd. And what better way to try to sell the crowd out than to put a Rougeau on the card? Ray Rougeau in a boxing match with Owen Hart. Be fun to see some of that footage. 
It's also reported after the June 24th Raw tapings in Green Bay, Wisconsin were over, the building already half empty, the WWF, they gave the fans what they promised. They went through with their dark matches anyway, including, wow, listen to these barn burners, the Ultimate Warrior pinning Vader in 10 seconds, the Undertaker pinning Mankind in two minutes, and WWF Champion Shawn Michaels super kicking Goldust in six seconds. And remember, we just came off those TV tapings. Even though the card was a sellout, DeMelt says the crowd died early on. Boy, I'll say. And so there it was. Remember, they, they played it up on TV to where Camp Cornette had taken the Warrior out after that beatdown on uh, a couple of weeks ago on TV. But the Warrior comes back actually later on in the night for an unaired segment where Camp Cornette cut a promo leading to this Warrior-Invader match, Warrior scoring the win in something like 10 seconds there. But in WWF stories, the Warrior never to be seen again after that beating from Camp Cornette a couple weeks ago on Raw. And speaking of the Warrior, here's the latest on the Warrior Man. Warrior Man here. Situation. It's stated that Vince McMahon told Jim Helwig that he would be brought back provided he posts that large bond we've been discussing here over the last couple of weeks. Now, should Warrior post that bond, he would forfeit all of that money to the WWF provided he were to no-show another card. The story is, the appearance bond that he's supposed to place before being allowed back will be close to $250,000. Helwig is said to have neither agreed to the price nor indicated that he won't meet the price in order to return, although the belief is that he will return. Bad chance. Reportedly, Warrior was in Indianapolis on June the 28th, but he had a telephone blow-up with Vince McMahon earlier in the day regarding something he saw at a licensing show just a few days earlier. WWF sources claim that at no point did Helwig complain about the WrestleMania payoff in the argument, but rather he blew up because he saw a slogan of Always Believe being used as a WWF marketing slogan. Warrior felt that this was his personal slogan that he had used for years and that the WWF hadn't paid him for the use of the slogan and felt that the items with that slogan should have been his items and he should have been informed of them and of course received a cut of them. Many in the company, particularly in the marketing department, were upset because Helwig apparently blew up at the people in the department and also because of how he handled his no-shows. Helwig's father indeed did in fact pass away on June the 30th, but those in the WWF claim that the timeline doesn't fit since Warrior missed shows on June 28th and 29th as well and that he was in Indianapolis and flew home, as we just talked about. There was also apparently bitterness that Helwig who as a WWF wrestler is banned from giving unauthorized interviews, but gave an on-the-record interview on Prodigy, a competitor to America Online, which the WWF has its contract with. Helwig wasn't booked on the WWF for this past weekend's house shows and appeared as scheduled at a comic book convention in San Diego, during which time he held a Q&A with the wrestling fans and didn't bring up the idea that he was expecting to be suspended and talked as if he was expecting to go back on the road with the World Wrestling Federation, starting with the upcoming Albany show. Since his suspension, Helwig made an online message that largely made no sense. Imagine that. In response to claims, he missed the show due to contract disputes, saying he missed the shows because his father passed away and denied that it was contractually related. Warrior stated in that online message, If resolving my personal issues and protecting the way I chose to believe puts me in the WWF doghouse as stated on their Money Making 900 line, then so be it. 
Bow wow and kiss my ass. Always believe. Classy, warrior. Again, Dave Meltzer reiterates here. He says, Jim Helwig's father, Tom Helwig, passed away at the age of 58 on June the 30th in Hollywood, Florida. And as everyone continually points out, including me, Helwig missed shows both on the 28th and 29th, the two days prior to the passing of his father. So everybody basically questioning the real intentions here of Jim Helwig missing these show dates. But it is what it is, and I guess we'll never know the true story here. But that's just the latest in the saga of the Ultimate Warrior. Warrior Man here. And it may very well be the end, but very interesting here. All the way back in 1996, the Ultimate Warrior posting messages online of all people. Jim Helwig, ahead of the technology. And I love the mention of Prodigy here. Talk about a throwback. I was always an America Online guy, but anytime you hear those words, Prodigy, CompuServe, good old WCW, and of course AOL, God, I miss those days. And it's time now as we roll on to WWF Monday Night Raw for July the 15th, taped all the way back June 24th, Green Bay, Wisconsin at the Brown County Expo Center. Oh, these fans again. It's Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler on commentary as we see a clip. Earlier tonight backstage, Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson greeted by Gorilla Monsoon upon entering the building, but also greeted by Camp Cornette as both sides exchange words with In Your House just six days away as we kick off this edition of Monday Night Raw. It's to the ring for Intercontinental Champion Ahmed Johnson, scheduled to take on co-holder of the tag team titles, Bart Gunn, with Sonny in his corner. And of course, the Guns are the WWF Tag Team Champions, so before tonight is over, Sonny could control all of the gold. And speaking of Sonny, she's the focal point of all of the introductions here as Bart Gunn barely seen until the match gets going. Meanwhile, the cameras follow Sonny in and out of the ring all during introductions here. And the King also making sure to greet Sonny with a kiss on the hands, because of course he does. And during the matchup on commentary, Vince McMahon bringing up the Ultimate Warrior name again, stating that there is, or, or at least will be, ongoing dialogue between the WWF officials and of course the Warriors attorneys. Keeping the Warrior Man name out there is Vince McMahon still holding on to that last bit of faith that the Warrior will return to the World Wrestling Federation. And then from there, it's to the action. Feeling out early by both men, trading some basic moves on both sides before Ahmed begins to power Bart Gunn around the ring until Gunn suckers Ahmed in on a handshake with a cheap shot and starts to work over the arm of Johnson for a long segment. As we get a shot of Shawn Michaels watching from the back, apparently he's watching the back of Ahmed Johnson here just in case Camp Cornette try to get involved. Sonny! Even gets caught interfering here, helping Bart Gunn with added leverage on a submission move. Of course, Gunn forced to break the hold. And as I said, this, uh, this working over the arm segment of the match goes on for a very long time before Ahmed finally has enough. Going to try to make a comeback and drives his good shoulder into the midsection of Bart Gunn repeatedly a good 10 times in the corner, but misses a charge into the opposing corner and Ahmed going bad shoulder first into the steel post. And Bart Gunn right back on top of the matchup. Bart, though, locking in a cross arm breaker for a bit before they're back to a standing base. Ahmed coming back with a power slam, but again, his arm in pain and he can't capitalize. And it's at that point in the matchup, the King, Jerry Lawler, inexplicably leaving commentary. More on that in just a second. As Bart continues on the offense, using Ahmed's injured shoulder to his advantage, sending Johnson shoulder first into the buckle, and then a sloppy looking hammerlock slam as we finally take a commercial break 
freaking more than nine minutes into this schlock. And then back from break, Bart Gunn with a running bulldog. One, two, but Ahmed manages to kick out. And then Gunn immediately following that up, going to the top rope for another bulldog, jumping off the top, catching Ahmed with a bulldog from the top rope. One, two, but again, Ahmed Johnson out before the three count. As Jerry Lawler quote-unquote returns for commentary, but he's referred to as being backstage for the remainder of the match, and I have no idea what all of this was about. Unless it was visible on TV here, the King leaving commentary during the taping, and they were trying to explain why he didn't appear to be at ringside, but yet somehow still commentated the rest of the way here with Vince McMahon. Just really weird. They never really explained where Lawler went or what was going on. But anywho, Bart Gunn back in the ring, going for a third bulldog attempt here on Ahmed Johnson, but this time Johnson picking Bart up into the air and dropping him crotch first across the top rope. And that's a fucking disqualification, ref. And even Vince McMahon on commentary trying to make excuses, stating that Ahmed perhaps accidentally dropped Bart across that top rope until McMahon sees the double feature. And yes, even Vince McMahon agreeing that Ahmed got away with it. And with Bart straddled across the top rope, Ahmed launching himself at gun with a flying body thing and both guys spilling out over the top rope to the floor. Johnson then bringing Gunn back inside for a spine buster, and it's the Pearl River Plunge. Gonna get the one, two, and three. 11 minutes, 30 seconds shown here of the action. So Ahmed comes back and picks up the win, completely ignoring that Bart Gunn just worked over his fucking shoulder for the last 10 minutes straight. But what are you gonna do? And Bart didn't do anything wrong here, but 10 minutes of generic arm work. Just boring, guys. And watching Monday Night Raw versus Nitro right now feels like watching two completely different sports. And I'm sure many of the guys here in the WWF could hang with the guys over in WCW at this point, but based on what they do here on Raw, you'd never know it. Nevertheless, Ahmed retains the title. Camp Cornette nowhere to be found during that matchup. And as the show rolls on, it's Shawn Michaels standing backstage being interviewed by Vince McMahon. And HBK admits that there's more to the relationship between he and Sid than meets the eye. But he'll dip into that at a later date, says Sean here. Michaels then acknowledges the guns and Camp Cornette in the building tonight and knows he has to worry about all of the above when he steps in the ring with Billy Gunn here in a WWF title match in just a few short minutes. But no matter what happens, Sean promises that he will retain that WWF title. As we head back to the ring, more action with the wild man, Mark Marrow, Sable in his corner, taking on T.L. Hopper. The former dirty white boy, Tony Anthony, now a plumber in T.L. Hopper. The T.L. stands for toilet lid, guys. I'm not kidding. And during Marrow's entrance, Goldust Usher returns. Haven't seen him since the Razor Ramon days, I don't believe. And this usher presenting Sable with a gift box, which she looks at but doesn't seem to want to open. Instead, Sable dropping the gift in the aisleway after sharing a look with the wild man on the way to the ring. And then from there, it's T.L. Hopper out to the tune of Toilets Flushing. And he's not alone. No, he has good old Betsy with him. How original. Wasn't that the name of the bullwhip that outlaw Ron Bass brought to the ring? Something about inanimate objects being referred to as Betsy. I don't know. As Hopper makes his way to the ring, we see a clip of TL beating Duke the Dumpster Drossy on Superstars, which is Hopper's only legit win here in the WWF, and 
Drossi's final TV match at the same time. And as this match gets going, the crowd is deader than dead, guys. But Teal Hopper with some solid bumps early on for Mark Marrow. Hopper, though, finally with a cheap shot, takes over with some generic offense and a side slam. Gets about a two count as we head into a commercial break. And then back from break, it's Stone Cold Steve Austin popping up in a live insert style interview in the corner of the screen. Austin says he's no pretty boy. He's no heartthrob, but he is looking for revenge at the next in your house after what Mark Merrow did to his face at the King of the Rings. So it is Austin going against Mark Merrow here at the upcoming in your house in just six days time. But for now, Merrow got to make it past T.L. Hopper. And speaking of which, Hopper's still in control for way longer than he needs to be, but misses a splash or a headbutt or something here, and the crowd doesn't make a fucking sound for it. Marrow on the comeback, and the crowd still dead. Mark Marrow landing a flying head scissors, his patented knee lift, and blammo! Left hook! Wow, gonna get the win here. Mark Marrow, 8 minutes and 36 seconds shown of a not-so-pretty matchup, and a left hook! Here tonight, the kiss that don't miss. Johnny B. Bad style. Kind of odd. Really pulling back from the flashy moves of Marrow as of late. Makes me wonder, is he hurt? Is this a less is more attitude by the World Wrestling Federation? What exactly is going on? It certainly hasn't helped Marrow's cause of late in getting over with the fans. Only at one point here does Marrow attempt to dive to the floor, but it's all a fake out as Hopper was out of the way. Other than that, nothing flashy here from Mark Marrow. And of all the moves, for the first time here in the WWF, Marrow using his old tutti frutti, the left hook of Johnny B. Bad to score the win. And as for the match, it was definitely worse than the Bark Gun Ahmed Johnson ordeal. Slow, boring, and the crowd never woke up. Even in the comeback here. Just really bad shit. And it took up a good quarter of the show. As we head back to the locker room yet again, this time Vince McMahon interviewing Camp Cornette. In full effect here, it's Jim Cornette along with the British Bulldog, Vader, and of course, Owen Hart. As Cornette runs down his team, one by one, he points out that it was Vader, the only man ever to pin Ahmed Johnson. The British Bulldog nearly took the title off of Shawn Michaels, and of course, Owen Hart, he damn near took Shawn Michaels out of the wrestling business altogether. So Cornette says his camp, they won't get involved in the matches tonight, they're going to wait for the pay-per-view. But they took their first shot, putting out the Warrior. Shawn Michaels and Ahmed came back by replacing the Warrior with Sid. But Jim Cornette vows that Camp Cornette have something special planned for Sid at In Your House. We'll have to see what that is as we randomly get an Undertaker music video. And I use the term music lightly here. It's a a little more upbeat version of the Undertaker's theme as we see glimpses of the dead man in action. And then it is back to the ring for wrestling action is WWF champion Shawn Michaels with mentor Jose Lothario by his side, taking on Billy Gunn, along with Sonny in his corner. And Bart didn't do so well against Ahmed Johnson earlier tonight. Let's see if Billy Gunn has the number of old HBK here. It's on commentary. Vince McMahon shares his condolences at the start of this matchup for Brett and Owen Hart's nephew, Matt, who passed away to a rare viral disease at the age of 13 years old. Very sad to hear. We also get an insert promo as we get going from Ahmed Johnson, who says he is here to watch Sean's back from the locker room area, also putting over the upcoming six-man tag team main event at In Your House before we head to the ring for action. Billy Gunn with a pair of tackles early on, hard tackles, sending Michaels flying 
but HBK sidesteps the third charge and sends Billy Gunn out to the floor. Sean then laying a smooch in on Sunny as she's up on the apron. Without her consent, I should point out, at least here on TV. Billy gonna try a sneak attack from behind during the sexual encounter, but old HBK is ready and nearly fires off a super kick on Gunn before he bails back out to the floor. With Billy outside talking things over with Sonny, it's Shawn Michaels with a baseball slide dropkick to the outside, and back in the ring, Michaels coming off the top rope, but getting caught by Billy Gunn with a hard right hand and a rocker dropper of sorts, the future Famasser, here all the way back in 1996. Shawn, though, comes back and intentionally grabbing Billy Gunn and dragging him crotch first into the ring post. Another disqualification, not called by the referees here this week. Sean back inside with a slingshot clothesline. And then HBK going up top, but he's distracted by Sonny at ringside, and Billy Gunn going to slam Shawn Michaels off the top rope, and then a clothesline sends the champion over the top rope and out to the floor as we head into a commercial break. And then back from break, Gunn still in control with a chin lock, and then putting Sean in the tree of woe, going to stomp him down, baby. We see a shot backstage at this point of Jim Cornette. He's seeing off Camp Cornette, who appear to be leaving the arena, headed to the parking garage. Our Vader, the Bulldog, and Owen Hart. And then back to the ring, Billy Gunn tries for a Bulldog, much like Bart did earlier, but Shawn Michaels throws him off. And we abruptly cut to a second commercial break. Seemed like odd timing there. Back from the second break in this matchup, Shawn Michaels going to make the comeback, delivering the flying forearm, then kipping up before nailing a drop kick and the top rope elbow drop, all a setup for some sweet chin music. Super kick. Shawn Michaels connects on Billy Gunn, and he will retain the title. Again, about 11 and a half minutes shown here. Match probably went closer to 15. And then post-match, and this is fun, Shawn Michaels celebrating at ringside after putting away Billy Gunn. Shawn shown leaving the ringside area with his hair now up in a ponytail. But as he walks through the curtains to the backstage, He's met by Ahmed Johnson, and the ponytail magically disappears. A second later, from one camera angle to another. The magic of editing, guys. And then from there, Jim Cornette pops up, interrupting the two celebrating, and tosses a cup of water directly into the face of Shawn Michaels in order to get the baby faces to chase Corny into that parking garage. Where the heels are waiting. It was a setup all along. They never left, guys. Damn those heels. It's a three-on-two attack by Camp Cornette, beating down Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson until... Psycho Sid arrives! Sid pulls up, bringing his car to a screeching halt as he plows into garbage cans and a wooden pallet, Sid jumping out to aid his team, but Camp Cornette sees him coming. They jump in their car and speed away. Just imagine what Sid could do behind the wheel of a car. A scary thought. Yikes. Nevertheless, Psycho Sid arrives and Camp Cornette bails. And this is just one of those things that it just sticks with you. And I remember watching this when it happened and that car crash routine getting me all pumped for Sid being back. And I was really pissed he didn't get his hands on Cornette and company here as the show ended. But, but I thought it was fun enough, a little hard sell here to buy that pay-per-view this coming Sunday. Sid Vicious arrives in the arena and I'll go back to Shawn Michaels versus Billy Gunn real quick. Easily the best thing on the show, and even still, not very good. Nobody bought the Guns as real challengers here, even if they were the tag team champions. The crowd was more lively for Shawn than the rest of the show, but Billy didn't have to do much, and, and then Shawn making that paint-by-numbers comeback and the anticlimactic win just 
going through all of his signature moves and landing the super kick, Billy Gunn never stood a chance. Just really a night of blah here on Raw. And I don't know how this was selling the pay-per-view, but lucky for them, In Your House was only like $15 at the time. And now it's in the rules here of Monday Warfare, so we have to do it. We have to pick a segment of the night. Was it Ahmed versus Bart? Mark Merrow versus T.L. Hopper? Shawn Michaels versus Billy Gunn? Now, I know I usually say I hate to pick a minute-long segment for segment of the night, but not this time. The only saving grace on this entire episode was Sid's car smashing into that final segment of the show. Just a fun memory of a fairly dreadful time period in WWF history. And Sid arriving at the arena also confirmed that Psycho Sid was indeed back. He has arrived back to the World Wrestling Federation. And that's the final hard sell into the big pay-per-view matchup, six-man tag team action. It's Sean, Ahmed, and Sid taking on the likes of Vader, the British Bulldog, and Owen Hart in just six days. But as we head in to a WWF pay-per-view, remember guys were coming out of the WCW Bash at the Beach just eight days ago, included the heel turn of one Hollywood Hulk Hogan. And I think we're all caught up for this week in the WCW News Department Bash at the Beach brought us plenty of news last week, so we're off to World Championship Wrestling and Monday Nitro live July the 15th in Orlando, Florida yet again at the Disney MGM Studios outdoor venue. And so last week, Dave Meltzer reported 600 fans here, but now he's saying that the Disney studio that they do the outdoor nitros at holds 450 people and the reservations are full through early August. And with the Turner production trucks all doing the Olympics, they really don't have a choice but to continue to do the shows here at MGM. Works for me. It's fun for the summer. As we kick off hour one with our announcers, Larry Zabisco and Tony Schiavone opening the show here. And I'll get this out of the way right now as they, they sell it throughout the entire night. Conveniently, Ric Flair, the Giant, Sting, and the Macho Man are all absent from tonight's show. And I get what they're trying to set up here for the New World Order later on in the program, but repeatedly announcing four of your main eventers won't be here on the show isn't the best strategy to keep people tuned in. Although, it works in this instance, so who am I to say? As the announcers begin to play up, who is next to join the New World Order? So they're expecting additions here to the NWO, and it just got started. As at this point, we go back to Bash at the Beach, and we finally see it here on free TV. Well, if you count cable as free TV, but we get it here on Nitro on TNT video footage of Hulk Hogan's heel turn from the Bash of the Beach leg dropping the Macho Man Randy Savage and joining the Outsiders. And then it's off to the ring for opening bout action. The Steiner Brothers going to take on the team of Fire and Ice. That's Scott Norton and Ice Train. And we've seen this match before a few times. The first outing was awesome. Second outing was a step down, but still pretty cool. Third time, also okay, but didn't really live up to the first match. But curious to see which way it goes this week, because it always has potential to be a slobber knocker, by God. And on commentary during the matchup, Tony and Larry spend time continuing to run down Hulk Hogan and what WCW and the fans have done for him. They also hint at another defector joining the Outsiders here in WCW, likely referencing the recent departure of the 1-2-3 kid. Shivani also makes sure to hype that Hulk Hogan and the Outsiders will be here tonight, sometime in the second hour, making sure you guys know when to tune in to see the new heel Hulk Hogan 
rather than turn it over to Monday Night Raw. And as the match gets going, Scott Norton working over Scott Steiner to start out the match for a good bit, noticeably never tagging in Ice Train during this offense. Norton then finally running into a Steiner boot in the corner, and Scotty fires back with a Steiner line. Scott then locking in an overhead belly-to-belly on Norton, Norton then rolling outside, where Ice Train helps him regroup as we head into a commercial break. And then back from break, we see Ice Train now in the ring working over Rick Steiner with a big power slam as Teddy Long randomly heads to ringside. And as the action continues in the ring, Ice Train running into the boot in the corner of Rick Steiner and then it eats an overhead belly-to-belly that nearly breaks Train's neck. Came down bad on that one. I wrote yeesh. But the move, it only gets a one count. As Rick continues on the offense, landing an inverted DDT, and then both men down on the mat, making tags out to Norton and brother Scott Steiner back in the ring. Norton coming off the middle rope of the clothesline on Scotty, and then goes back to the middle rope again. Norton going to jump off again, but this time lands down into the boot of Scott Steiner. Scott then crawling over to his corner, making the tag back to brother Rick, who comes in with an explosive Steiner line and a fucking Buzz Sawyer power slam catching Norton in a leapfrog in the midair, turning it into a power slam here. Is Rick Steiner going to get the one, two, but Ice Train in to break it up and Fire and Ice then double teaming Rick Steiner, taking him down with a double shoulder tackle. Train then going for the big splash while Scott Norton holds Rick down to the mat, but Rick moves out of the way, pulling Norton down in the process and Ice Train accidentally splashing his own partner. Rick from there, from behind, Nailing a German suplex on Train. Going to score the one, two, and three. Steiner Brothers will pick up the win. About seven and a half minutes shown of a 10-minute matchup here. And just four monsters beating the crap out of each other. Fun for what it was, but nowhere near as good as the first couple matches these two teams had. And Teddy Long coming to ringside mid-match never really played out here. But we'll see more of that in just a little bit. But first, we're off to Mean Gene Okerlund standing by with members of the Dungeon of Doom. Standing near the entranceway is Kevin Sullivan, Jimmy Hart, and Big Bubba. Gene references that Ming and the Barbarian were supposed to be out here as well, but this is WCW, so who knows. And in the middle of the promo, Fire and Ice passing by the interview with Norton Heated, arguing with Ice Train on their way to the backstage area. Kind of funny, but I love how they worked that in. Jimmy Hart and Kevin Sullivan talking about doing whatever it takes to put down Hulk Hogan's group and the Four Horsemen, perhaps acquiring new members to the Dungeon of Doom. And I guess that'll all start with uh, Braun the Leprechaun. Should have Kevin Nash quaking in his boots, I'm sure. According here to Big Bubba, Lex Luger has a detached retina and a concussion from Bash at the Beach, yet somehow he's cleared to wrestle here tonight. At the end of the segment, Ming and Barbarian inexplicably finally show up for the promo. Nice to have joined us, guys. But we're all out of time. Really a throwaway promo here. Jimmy Hart and Kevin Sullivan mentioning the Horsemen, mentioning Benoit in particular, mentioning Hulk Hogan turning in the uh, New World Order. And the Dungeon of Doom, they're going to stay relevant. They're going to do whatever it takes to compete with these other factions running around WCW. As we get a bumper promo heading into commercial break, it's the former Cruiserweight champion, Dean Malenko. He says, tonight begins step one in regaining that Cruiserweight title from Rey Mysterio. He has Billy Kidman here tonight, but poor Kidman picked a bad night to step in the ring with a man of a thousand holds. And up next, it's a Glacier promo. Our world is about to change. Enter the realm. Blood runs cold. 
In each of us burns the fury of a warrior. Glacier. Glacier continuing to run cold. In fact, right now, he's so cold, this gimmick's frozen. At least the plans are. But Glacier, nevertheless, coming to WCW at some point. And then it's back to Mean Gene Oakland yet again standing by behind the scenes. I guess you could call it the backstage area here at MGM. He's standing by with Fire and Ice, Scott Norton, and Ice Train. Scott Norton yelling at Train for the mishap in the matchup. Norton even doing the old, when I put this team together routine, keyword there being I. Norton says, they always seem to have the teams beat, and then Ice Train screws it up. Train says, hey man, I play by the rules. And I have no idea what that has to do with what Norton's yelling about. And then out of nowhere, Teddy Long randomly popping in again. Holla, playa. Long stating that he doesn't want to get into Fire and Ice's business, even though he is and says he hates to see these two having issues because they make such a great team. However, Norton doesn't want to hear any of it, grabbing Teddy Long by his face, pie-facing him, and shoving him down to the blacktop. So I guess Scott Norton watched Teddy Long last week with Sergeant Craig Pittman, and he doesn't want any of that in his corner. Ice Train gets upset with Norton assaulting Teddy Long and tends to Teddy as Norton walks away. Norton says it started with them, and it's going to end with them. Not really sure what that means. So Norton and Ice Train are in the arguing phase of this tag team here, but haven't come to blows just yet. And I'm not really sure if this is the official breakup of the team, although I think it is, or will there be more coming between these two? They left this a little open-ended, but Ice Train seemed to imply that they've split up here. And the story goes, in real life, Scott Norton absolutely hated doing this tag team, wasn't a fan of Ice Train or teaming with Ice Train, which, honestly, to me, is unfortunate because I think the team actually had potential, at least in their matches against the Steiners. But I mean, to be honest with you guys, this team was doomed to begin with. I mean, their name is Fire and Ice. You can't get any more opposite. Then it's back to the ring. Dean Malenko out. Sands Cruiserweight title. He's going to take on Billy Kidman here, the young up-and-comer. And on his way to the ring, Malenko stopped by Jimmy Hart, who apparently tries to recruit Malenko. Not really sure what's going on here, but Dean wanting no part of it. Smart move. And during that bumper promo earlier, Malenko with a hard five o'clock shadow here, clean shaven, so Dean shaving that beard off since the commercial bumper. And Malenko starting the match off hot with a nasty clothesline as he is incensed and means business here tonight. Jumping calf kick by Dean sends Kidman to the outside. Malenko out there trying for a pile driver on the floor, but Kidman reverses with a backdrop and then back inside the ring. Kidman! Launches a missile dropkick and a belly-to-back suplex of sorts here by Billy Kidman on the offense. But Dean, he's done playing around. Goes to work on the leg of Kidman and then out of nowhere busting out a tilt-a-whirl body slam for a two-count here is Malenko. Then from there, Saito suplex from the former cruiser champion. And then Malenko right back to work on the leg, wrapping it around the ring post, just dismantling Billy Kidman here in this match. From there, Kidman trying it up and over in the corner, but he's caught by Malenko, who counters with an Alabama slam. Both men down briefly as they begin to trade quick pinfall attempts. Kidman then hooking Malenko in a side headlock and delivering an acid drop style bulldog, running up the ropes and delivering a bulldog off the turnbuckles. But Kidman not done with Malenko here, going up top, shooting star press in 1996, guys. Kidman with the shooting star press, 
but misses. Malenko out of the way, Kidman landing hard, and Dean, he's done shitting around here in rapid fire succession. Malenko up with a brain buster, picking Kidman right back up into a power bomb, picking Kidman up right back again into a tiger bomb here, and then turning that directly into a Texas Cloverleaf. Going to get the submission win in just five minutes and 10 seconds. Fun little TV match here to get Malenko right back on top. Looking for that rematch with Rey Mysterio in the Cruiserweight title. Going to make sure to get back some of his heat here this week is Malenko. Kidman getting in a few showcase moves here, but it was all Malenko for the most part. And I love the finish here. Just one move after another, never taking a break in between. Brainbuster, power bomb, tiger bomb, and then holding on to the legs and turning it over into the Texas Cloverleaf. Very violent finish. Awesome here is Dean Malenko, why he was one of my favorites upon arriving in WCW. Then it's back to Mean Gene Oakland yet again in the aisleway. This time he's going to talk to the Carolina Panthers, Kevin Green. Green talks Hulk Hogan. Gene corrects him. It's now Hollywood Hogan, apparently. That way they don't have to pay Marvel nearly as much. Anywho, it's Kevin Green talking about Hogan stabbing everyone in the back. Green says that he followed the demands of the training, the prayers, and the vitamins. It's what got him to the NFL. Why, Green was a Hulkamaniac as a kid. And then he comes to find out that Hulk Hogan never believed in what he was selling himself. And let's ignore the fact that Kevin Green was already in his 20s when Hulkamania was born there. Don't let facts get in the way of a good story. Green then turning his attention to Steve Mongo McMichael. Gene points out that Green is on the heels of the NFL training camp for the 96 season, but Green says he doesn't want to wait until after the NFL season to take on Mongo in a wrestling ring. Instead, he calls McMichael out for a fight here tonight on Nitro. Green wanting to get this match in before he boards a plane later here tonight off to training camp for the NFL season. As we head into our next commercial break, it's another bumper promo, this time from the WCW Tag Team Champions Harlem Heat. They say they've paid Colonel Rob Parker to do a job, but he also manages their opponents here tonight in Dick Slater and Mike Enos. They warn the Colonel to do what he was paid to do, sucka. And then it's back to the ring for set action. WCW Tag Team Champions with manager Sherry taking on the team of Rough and Ready, Dick Slater and Mike Enos, with Colonel Rob Parker in their corner. And wow, first public enemy on Saturday night, and now it's Rough and Ready here on Nitro. Someone should tell the Steiner brothers and the Nasty Boys the best way to get a title match around here is to lose. A lot. At this rate, fire and ice if they stick together, or even the American males, they'll be next up in line for a title shot. And hey, is Minute Work still a thing right now? They should look into this. Anywho, it is rough and ready out with their manager, Colonel Rob Parker. Mike Enos looking pretty damn cool here. Dig that haircut. Then from there, it's the Harlem Heat Tag Team Champions out with manager Sister Sherry. And again, Rob Parker accompanying the Heat out as well. But he's not their manager, but rather their promoter here. So the Colonel has investments on both sides of the ring. So I'm curious to see how this plays out here. As rough and ready attack, but the heat on the winning end to start things out here. And then from there, it's Stevie Ray hooking a fucking bear hug on Dick Slater. Seconds. Seconds, guys, into this matchup. I wrote effing seriously. We get a little brawl and it goes into a bear hug spot. About 30 seconds into the matchup here. Not really sure what was going on with that. As Mike Enos tags in with Booker T and T with a jumping side scissor kick so high that it actually only grazes Enos' face before overshooting him in the air by a good foot or more. 
Booker T with crazy agility here. As Rough and Ready finally take over the matchup and put a beatdown on Booker outside the ring, then back inside, Dick Slater busting out the old swinging neckbreaker on Booker, but T gonna take back over on Mike Enos with a back thrust kick and then an axe kick, the old scissor kick, if you will, to the back of the head of Mean Mike. From there, on the outside, we see Sister Sherry and Robert Parker. They're shown having a squabble at ringside due to what's going on in the ring. And speaking of what's going on in the ring, it's back and forth between both teams. Dick Slater, though, finally landing a pile driver on Booker T. And then Mike Enos coming in with a fallaway slam, launching Big Booker T across the ring. I wrote impressive there. Mike Enos with that fallaway slam. He's going to have to cut that move out of his repertoire before too long, I'd have to imagine. Eh, Chico? Anywho, then from there, the match breaking down into a four-way melee before the illegal Mike Enos power-slamming Booker T down for Dick Slater to try to pick up the win. But Robert Parker is up on the apron, distracting the referee, which allows Sister Sherry to climb up on the apron on the opposite side. She reaches into the ring, planting a wet one, a big kiss on Dick Slater. We saw Sean do it to Sonny on Raw, but now here it is, Sherry doing it to Dick Slater here on Nitro. And Slater looks more upset than Sonny did. And all of the confusion allows Booker T to slide in with a schoolboy on Dick Slater here and pick up the win, 7 minutes and 38 seconds. And the story being here in the finish, did Colonel Robert Parker, the manager of Rough and Ready, intentionally set up his team here, distracting the referee so that Sherry could quote-unquote interfere with that kiss? Because remember, we saw the two managers whispering right before the spot. And Rob Parker also leaving ringside with Harlem Heat as well, though seemingly apologizing to Rough and Ready on his way out. And this can't work out well much longer for Rob Parker and the team of Rough and Ready. And this match wasn't bad for TV at all. Wasn't really good either. Harlem Heat certainly look a lot better with uh, better opponents, but I don't know. I, I kind of like the team of Dick Slater and Mike Enos. As we're heavy on the bumper promos here tonight, and I'm not complaining, hey, get it in if you can. Into the next commercial break, we see Jimmy Hart and Ming. Ming's opponent tonight, the enforcer, Arn Anderson. As we're back from break, Mean Gene yet again standing by with Kevin Green once more. Green says he's sick of waiting. What's it been, 15 minutes? Green says he wants it Steve McMichael, and he wants Adam right now before he has to leave for training camp later tonight and board that plane. If he doesn't get Mongo tonight, he has to wait until February of next year. Well, should the Panthers make the playoffs, which they do, all the way to the NFC Championship game with the Packers, if I remember correctly. So yes, Green going to have to wait quite a while if he doesn't get Mongo here tonight. And darn the luck, wouldn't you know it, Gene informs Green that Mongo isn't in the building right now, thus ensuring us at least seven months before we have to sit through such a match. I'm certainly not complaining there. As we head back to the ring, the bell sounds. We have no introductions, but we see Medusa in there, and it appears she's going to be going up against Malaya Hosaka. And it does just feel kind of out of nowhere, because other than Medusa dropping the WWF women's title in the garbage can way back in the fall of 1995, we really haven't seen a whole lot of uh, Medusa here. In the ring, anyway, of course, there was that whole fiasco with Colonel Rob Parker at the early part of the year. But out of nowhere, out of the blue, it's Medusa in the ring with Malaya Hosaka. And of course, Medusa going to be wrestling Bull Nakano at the upcoming Hog Wild pay-per-view. They announced that the winner destroys the loser's motorcycle. Now, it'd be interesting if they could at least bill it as a Harley versus Honda match or something like that, but that would include name brands, and we can't do that here. 
So I guess WCW realizing they, they have to build up that they have some form of a women's division leading in to that matchup. So it's back to the action here on Nitro. And the first time I saw Malaya Hosaka was against Rockin' Robin around 1990, maybe 1991, at a Great Lakes show. And I saw her many times thereafter in the early 90s, so I popped here when I saw her show up in WCW. As the commentary suggests, Hosaka is from Japan and sent here by the evil Bull Nakano. In reality, Malaya, from Hawaiian descent, I believe half Japanese, I know she was trained by Killer Kowalski up there in Boston. And here at 26 years old in 1996 is Hosaka, already nine years of experience in the ring, so the girl knows what she's doing. As Medusa kicks things off hot early on with a Northern Lights suplex for an early two count, Hosaka whipped into the corner, but Medusa running right into a Malaya spin kick. Good stuff. From there, Hosaka with a nice striking kick up against Medusa's head, working her over on the mat before sending her down in a series of hair pull snapmares, which only seems to fire Medusa up as she comes back with a series of body kicks and a spinning back kick to the chest of Hosaka. And now Medusa with a series of hair mares, if you will. However, Hosaka countering a pile driver, tripping Medusa up, turning it over into a Boston crab. But at that point, we get a nitro countdown clock popping up on our screen for hour number two. And that means these girls have 55 seconds or less to get their shit in and go home. So they go in rapid fire offense from here, each one missing a move off the middle rope, neither really having time to even sell it. Hosaka then missing a middle rope reverse body block and Medusa capitalizing with the bridging German. Going to pick up the win here in four minutes and 17 seconds. And kudos to WCW for realizing they still had Medusa under contract, but yanking Malaya off the indies for a one-off to do a job does not a women's division make. As for the matchup, above average for this era's ladies matches in the States. Things were evolving past that Moolah era, finally. And they had a decent match early and then seemed to be waiting for their cue to go home, at which time they ran through their finish. And we saw it a few weeks ago with Savage versus Valentine, and now again here. Having these matches rush to finishes makes it seem very obvious they're being told to go home before the pyro for hour two begins. And Medusa out there celebrating her win. She tugs at her ear, a la Carol Burnett, saying hello to someone at home, no doubt, as we count it down to hour number two. In three, two, one, and it's hour two of WCW Monday Nitro with Eric Bischoff, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Immediately, they mention that Sting and the Macho Man not here tonight. And right on cue with Raw about to go on the air, it's the Outsiders showing up here on Nitro. The Outsiders appear covering the WCW logo with bedsheets, reading N, W, and of course O. They're taking over, guys. And this is only the beginning. As we head into a commercial break, we get a bumper promo here from Arn Anderson. Double A slated to take on Ming tonight. Arn says that Ming could eat any man alive, but on Nitro, the horseman's record is unparalleled. Anderson sounding confident there. As we come back from break, it is Ming with Jimmy Hart in his corner taking on the enforcer Arn Anderson. As we get a shot of Hall and Nash sipping cocktails and sitting in lounge chairs up by the NWO bedsheet letters because apparently they could just do this. And a fireworks display begins to go off in the background at Disney, and it's so loud that you can't ignore it here on TV, like cannon fire going off for a few minutes here. So if Hall and Nash weren't a distraction enough, 
Arn and Ming now also have to compete with grenades going off in the sky. As the match goes on, Ming chopping Arn down hard, but it's Anderson going to the leg of Ming to take him down to the mat. Wise move there by Anderson, but it's Ming quickly back in control with a devastating trapezius hold. As the Barbarian makes his way to ringside, and we head into a commercial break. Look out, Arn. And then back from break, Anderson has regained control, methodically pounding away on Ming. Meanwhile, this match is so boring that the fans begin to chant for Hogan, then Diesel, and finally Razor. The fans already turning on WCW here as Arn gets dumped out to the floor where Jimmy Hart puts the boots to him. And Anderson finally re-entering the ring after what should have been a 40 count, if you ask me. And back inside Ming with a vertical suplex and then a back suplex as well, followed by more loud-ass chops. Those nasty Haku chops here. But Ming telegraphing a backdrop and Arn Anderson going to hook him for the DDT. But Ming counters the DDT with a backdrop instead. Jimmy Hart then up on the apron to distract referee Nick Patrick while the Barbarian up on the apron from behind with a clothesline that sort of connects with the back of Arn's head. Nevertheless, Anderson stumbling into Ming for a thrust kick which did connect, and Ming going to steal the win here, about eight and a half minutes shown of an 11-minute matchup. Oof, that was uh, rough. Lots of stalling, very slow, plotting stuff throughout the matchup. Nobody really had control at any point. Arn's recent match with Sting was pretty much time filler, but this was worse than that. And it's a shame they're using Arn in positions to simply kill time on the show, though I do begin to wonder... Does this have anything to do with Arn's injuries? Nevertheless, Dungeon of Doom score a win over the Horsemen here on Nitro. And to be honest with you guys, this felt like a missing segment from that Raw that I just watched. I simply wrote, blah. As we're back to Mean Gene yet again this time, oh, how nice of you guys to join us. Steve and Deborah McMichael finally arrive here at Nitro. And is that a Pepe sighting there? Welcome back to the show, Pepe. And Mongo now, of course, calling out Kevin Green, who has already left the building. Deborah and Mongo begin to mock Green's team, the Carolina Panthers, the expansion team, of course. A farm team for B players, says Deborah. Deborah says her husband played for 15 years in the NFL because he wasn't pushed around by little punks like Kevin Green. And then I have another thing I wanted to ask Kevin. You know, my husband lasted 15 years in the NFL. 15. And do you know why he lasted 15 years? Why is that? Because he did not let little punks like Kevin Green push him around. That's why. And another thing is records. My husband here holds the record for the most consecutive starts in the NFL, the most games played in, the most sacks by defensive tackle, and the Pro Bowl. I don't know how many times he was in the Pro Bowl. I've lost count. So, Kevin, what's your records? I really don't hear a lot about that. So Deborah mentions all the records Mongo holds in the NFL at this time back in 96. Most games played, most consecutive games started, most sacks by a defensive tackle, multi-time Pro Bowler, and Mean Gene just eating this promo up, smiling his ass off from ear to ear, which I'm not going to lie, Deborah was pretty awesome. And that's what I'm going to take you guys on a sidebar here for a minute. Now, growing up, I wasn't into this crossover shit with the NFL, the NBA guys coming in to wrestle. But then, add to that someone's debutante wife showing up with a tiara on her head? I groaned every time they came out to the ring. And while Deborah was a beautiful woman to look at, I didn't want to hear her talk as a teenager. So I have no doubt that I mentally tuned this out back in 96. But 
But going back now here in 2023, for someone who was never in a TV role, an acting role if you will, let alone probably never even followed wrestling before her husband got into it, Deborah's promos are fan-fucking-tastic. She's such a, a Southern Belle bitch, and it's just awesome. And her line about Mongo not letting little punks get in the way? You know, my husband lasted 15 years in the NFL. 15! And do you know why he lasted 15 years? Why is that? Because he did not let little punks like Kevin Green push him around. That's why... Was phenomenal. Great stuff here. I'm loving this this Deborah character. As we go on, back to the ring. Ooh, it's night and day from Arn Anderson and Ming. Up next is Eddie Guerrero taking on Chris Benoit of the Horsemen. And wow, what a match for TV, guys. And, and yes, I do know that this is just TV. So I've tempered my expectations here. But even at half speed, these guys have a good match all the time. As the announcers spend much of the match talking about the Outsiders, the NWO, who else can we expect to join the group? Why aren't the WCW wrestlers ripping the bedsheets down? Good question, Bobby, by the way. Bischoff reminds us of the conversations that we saw Jimmy Hart had with Dean Malenko earlier in the night and ponders what that was all about as well. As the action gets going, Benoit taking over early on, pounding Eddie down to the mat. Guerrero, though, finally counters a powerbomb from Benoit, turns it into an arm drag midair, sending the crippler outside, and it's Guerrero up to the top rope. Plancha! Top rope body block out to the floor on the crippler. Then once back inside, Guerrero busting out a slingshot somersault senton and a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker going to get him a two-count. Benoit, though, takes over with a back suplex and a gorilla press slam. Hmm, that was different from Benoit. Then it's a camel clutch applied from the crippler for a potential submission here, but Eddie, finally managing to escape the hold, lands a Saito suplex as they go into a chop fight, which Benoit wins and follows it up with a Dynamite Kid-esque snap suplex. Benoit then hooking Eddie, power bombs Guerrero damn near through the mat. Dear God, one, two, close. But Eddie Guerrero manages to kick out from the power bomb as the crippler stays on top, Benoit going up to the top rope, but Eddie meets him up there and lands a superplex right off that top rope. Benoit taken down into the middle of the ring as the two men slowly begin to get up. They begin trading chops yet again, but this time Benoit shooting Eddie up into the air, but Guerrero countering it into a Rana, taking both men over the top rope and outside to the floor. Benoit up first on the outside, but the referee being checked on by Guerrero when it's Dean Malenko out of nowhere, Malenko rushing down to ringside, ramming Benoit skull first into the ring post. And both men, Guerrero and Benoit, again now back down outside as the announcers sell it like Benoit's brains were just scrambled. And I'll just leave that there. Guerrero finally manages to beat the count back inside at the count of nine, but Benoit still down and out gets counted out. And Eddie Guerrero going to pick up the win here thanks to Dean Malenko's help. Count out win for Eddie. In nine minutes and 35 seconds, Guerrero clearly having no knowledge of Dean's interference, and we have to assume Jimmy Hart put Malenko up to the attack on Chris Benoit since he's a horseman. So the Dungeon of Doom pulling another one over on the horseman here tonight, it would seem. As we will now get Dean Malenko versus Chris Benoit. Wow, what a match, but at the worst setting possible for such an epic matchup. Yes, it's going to take place in front of thousands and thousands of bikers at Hogwild. As we head into another commercial break, it's another reminder that Glacier is coming to WCW. At some point, 
in some time. Boy, this shit better be good when it gets here. That's all I can say. As we head back to the ring for the main event of Nitro here this week, it's the television champion Lex Luger taking on Big Bubba. No trouble. Jimmy Hart in the corner of Bubba there. And there I go forgetting Luger is TV champion again, or that the TV title even exists during Lex's tenure as champ for that matter. Bischoff wants to clarify that it's a nearly detached retina, not a detached retina as Bubba specified earlier in the Nitro show. So glad we got that out of the way. So it's Lex Luger, the sole headliner to show up here on Nitro tonight, even though his doctor advised him to take 60 days off, as stated on commentary. And it seems like this crowd is starting to feel the heat here as it's gotten really quiet all of a sudden, as Bubba early on going to the top rope right away, but he gets knocked off, and a Luger clothesline sends Bubba out to the floor. Then once back inside, Bubba goes to the bad eye of Luger with a palm strike. Ouch. Which, for the record, guys, Luger's eyes looked fine during the entrance, by the way. He wasn't selling anything. Maybe somebody should have told Lex he was supposed to have this partially detached retina. Then from there, as Bubba takes over, doing some traditional big boss man offense here, the old leg straddle over the back of Lex's head on the middle rope, and then a nasty uppercut laid in there on the total package. As Bubba remains in control in lumbering fashion until finally nailing an enziguri or a back leg round kick, if you ask Eric Bischoff. Going to get him a two count here as we see the mysterious limo of doom pull into the arena again here this week. And even though the outsiders were already here, now making their second entrance, it would seem, this time in a vehicle. Hall and Nash exit the car, sans Hulk Hogan, for now, as we head into a commercial break. Stay tuned, guys. And then back from break, Big Bubba just continuing to hammer away on Lex Luger in the corner but he runs into a pair of Luger boots and Lex explodes out of the corner with the flying steel forearm taking Bubba down. But this isn't the WWF guys. So Bubba popping up right away. Take that Yokozuna. But Bubba does wind up eating a pair of Luger clotheslines from there as Jimmy Hart appears to toss something in the ring for Bubba to use, but intercepted by Lex Luger and Lex clobbers Bubba with the foreign object but referee Randy Anderson, he sees the object in Lex's hand after the fact, and, well, he calls for the bell, disqualifying, I presume, Lex Luger here, seven and a half minutes shown of a nine and a half minute matchup, and then immediately after the decision, Hall and Nash attack Lex from behind. No help from the entire WCW roster here in the back, as a smiling Hulk Hogan finally, slowly begins to make his way down to the ring, Dressed in all black, brother. As the Outsiders land a spike powerbomb on Luger and Hulk Hogan watching on laughing, Hogan then paintbrushing Luger, smacking him across the face now that he's down and out on the mat. What a heel. And before we go on with the NWO portion of this segment, I want to point out for those who claim that Luger won by disqualification for interference from the Outsiders or that this was a no contest because of said interference. Randy Anderson visibly calls for the bell just a second before Hall and Nash hit the ring from behind. Now, does Lex Luger get disqualified for using the object? And Randy Anderson also questioning Jimmy Hart. How did the object even get in the ring, Jimmy? Could it have been one of those weird, screwy WCW finishes where somehow Bubba gets disqualified simply because Jimmy Hart threw the chain in? Or whatever that object was. I guess we'll never know, though I assume... It was Lex Luger getting disqualified here. He was the one caught with the foreign object. Or, I'm sorry, Mr. Turner, the international object. 
But I got to be honest, I don't see why Lex Luger couldn't have gone over here by pinfall, especially considering what was about to happen to him. It's just Big Bubba. And for those out there who know how big of a fan I was of the Big Boss Man, you know that I'm just telling it like it is. But I digress. Following that spike pile driver, Lex Luger booted out of the ring as Hulk Hogan goes over to help his former WWF buddy, Big Bubba, to his feet. What is this? Is Big Bubba the latest member of the New World Order? Bubba slowly getting to his feet, questioning Hulk's intentions. But Hogan assures him he comes in peace. Hogan then shakes the hand of Big Bubba right before Hall and Nash attack Bubba from behind. Unbelievable. So Hogan initially offering his friendship to Big Bubba, but it's all a ruse as the outsiders also lay Bubba out, tossing him from the ring. Nobody is safe, heel or face here in WCW, it would appear. And remember, there's no Sting, no Savage, no Flair or Giant. Apparently everyone else is just a bitch. Except Mean Gene, who simply enters the ring to interview Hulk Hogan. Somebody should look into this Gene character. He was really calm talking with Hall and Nash last week, and here, entering the lion's den, the snake pit, if you will, to speak with the Hulkster, Gene having no qualms about it. As we get our epic Nitro heel promo from Hulk Hogan, going to reiterate some of the things he said at the bash and add in some new things as well, Hulk says he should have done this turn two years ago. With who, Hulk? Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Brother Brudeye? The people, the fans, they've had the gall to boo Hulk Hogan so they can stick it, brother. Hulk acknowledging the boos that he's received here in the months before his recent departure. Nice touch, I thought. From there, Hulk running down Sting and says for three years, the Macho Man blamed Hogan for his divorce with Miss Elizabeth. But the real reason was that Savage couldn't rise to the occasion. Dude, I wrote, wow, good thing Macho's in Japan. And then it begins, guys, a sea of debris. Begins being tossed into the ring, much like at Bash at the Beach. Hogan then admits that we can expect more members of the New World Order here in WCW. Will it be more outsiders, guys from the WWF, or guys from the current WCW locker room? Hulk then reiterating that the kids of today, not wanting to follow his path, the path that he laid out of the training, the prayers, and the vitamins, so he's done with the kids. Hulk says he will take the WCW title from the Giant at Hog Wild and rebrand it the New World Order Belt. Talk about foreshadowing. And this promo's just awesome. Go check it out because the crowd is absolutely in disgust here. You just don't see shit like this anymore. And that's really unfortunate. As Hogan calls out any of the boys in the back, brother, as the Steiners, Arn Anderson, Ming, and Barbarian all show up at ringside. There we go. Let Haku in there. Let's nip this NWO shit right in the bud right now. So we get a handful of WCW wrestlers surrounding the ring as the Outsiders hold up steel chairs, and this edition of Nitro comes to an end. And by the end of that Hogan promo, it wasn't so much the crowd noise, but rather the behavior of the crowd that made it clear they were just disgusted with old HH here. And remember, earlier in the show, some of the fans were actually chanting his name, but after this promo, I think he had the entire crowd wanting his head on a stick, so like him or hate him, Hulk Hogan knew what was needed of him when it was promo time, and he delivered here. Good stuff to end Monday Nitro here this week. As I get to some final thoughts here on this episode, 
So I said the WWF roster doesn't feel like it would fit in here on a Nitro program, but there were matches here that were definitely Raw-esque in nature. Talking Ming versus Arn Anderson, Lex Luger versus Big Bubba, slow, uneventful, filled with downtime. But WCW could get away with it when they throw out a Benoit Guerrero or last week like Malenko Mysterio match to counteract some of the slower matches. But even still, I don't know that it makes up for all the multiple bad segments here on the two-hour Nitro. But here, with the NWO so fresh and Hulk Hogan's first appearance on TV as a heel, it didn't really matter what they did leading into it, so they could get away with Lex versus Bubba as the main event here this week. Though I still don't get why Luger couldn't have went over before taking that beating from the Outsiders. Bubba doing a job to Luger wasn't going to hurt anything. And speaking of Lex, the announcers continuously plugging that Lex is the only one here! With Sting, Macho, Flair, and the Giant all gone, makes me wonder, what are they trying to say about the rest of WCW? Lex is the only one here! What the hell have we been watching for two hours? But again, I digress as we go to the segment of the night. Could it have been Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero? The return of the heel Hulk Hogan, brother. Or maybe fire and ice explode. Poor Teddy Long. Scott Norton be drinking that haterade. Well, we get the best of both worlds here for TV. Benoit and Guerrero have a great matchup. Unfortunately, the finish, eh, not my cup of tea, but I get why they did it and what they were going for there. He didn't really want to put either guy down for a pinfall at the same time trying to work the Malenko-Benoit storyline heading into the Hog Wild pay-per-view. So it all made sense there, not really shitting on it. Uh, but for a match, it was really good. But I don't know that I can even, even Guerrero versus Benoit, which wasn't any of their five-star stuff, I don't know that I can give it the segment of the week because everything overshadowed by the returning Hulk Hogan, now a heel, joining the outsiders to create the New World Order. And, and for the few fans that were still applauding Hogan, Hulk comes out here, cuts a hell of an awesome promo as a heel, turns everyone against them. And remember, this whole thing's still fresh, still hot. So Hulk Hogan doing the job here and doing it well. And me personally, having never been a fan of Hulk, at least during the Hulkamania era and beyond. I got to call it like I see it and just a great job as we close out this edition of Nitro. So segment of the night, if you guys are just into wrestling, obviously you go Benoit Guerrero, but as for me, I got to go with the Hogan promo. Great job there at the end of the program. Either way, you'll enjoy both segments. For those who enjoy the wrestling, you get a really solid match, although a little short for those two. And on the other end, if you enjoy the entertainment portion of the show, that Hogan promo, not going to disappoint either. So I say, watch them both. But as for me, segment of the night, got to go to the NWO. As I do believe, the ratings are in. And for July 15th, built around Hulk Hogan's first post-heel turn appearance, even after announcing there would be no giant no flair, no sting, no macho man. WCW Monday Nitro did a 3.4 rating and a 5.8 share. That's a 3.3 and a 3.5 for the respective hours. Nitro actually going up as it competed against Monday Night Raw here. So overall, Nitro doing a 3.4, while Raw does a measly 2.6 and a 4.2 share. Nitro Replay also doing a 1.8 breaking the record yet again for the replay here this week, and a 4.2 share there for the replay of WCW Monday Nitro. 
Now remember, Raw did a 4.2 share. And yes, less people are watching TV later in the night. But Nitro wins again in the ratings, 3.4 to a 2.6. And the real winner here this week for me? Well, let's see. Smoking Guns in singles title matches, plus bonus teal hopper? Or everything we just saw in Nitro? Do I even need to say it at this point? Nitro by a landslide. And the WWF really needs to get their ass together. In a hurry. And that's going to wrap it up here this week for Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. We're going to have more talk of Raw versus Nitro next week. More news coming out of the WWF and WCW. We're going to be one day removed, 24 hours removed from the In Your House International Incident Pay-Per-View. And I'll be honest with you guys, it ain't pretty. Then over on WCW, Psychosis going to meet Eddie Guerrero in a rematch from the July 8th Nitro. And the trio of Sting, Lex Luger, and the Macho Man Randy Savage going to team up to take on the Horsemen next week here on Nitro. And remember, I am your host, Ray Russell. You can follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade for all the latest goings on here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And I'm constantly adding old school video clips and pictures there from throughout wrestling history. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. But we'll be back soon when we return the July 22nd edition of Raw vs. Nitro here on Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. (laughs) 